This morning for our opening prayer, I'd like to pray a prayer from our uh, same hymnal that Daryl was talking about, number 990. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear God of love, between my words, beneath my words, beyond my words, may you meet each of us in the places where words cannot go. May your deep call and speak to our deep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we join Jesus today at the start of his very last week in Jerusalem. After entering the city on a donkey and being welcomed by a branch waving crowd, Jesus now goes with his disciples to the temple, the sacred center of their Jewish faith. And later on, we will learn that the 12 are completely spellbound and awestruck by the grandeur of the 34-acre Temple Mount, 34 acres, and by the size of the stones, some of them 40 feet long. And they are wowed by the magnificent 15-story limestone sanctuary towering before them. Look, teacher, one of them says to Jesus, what huge stones and what huge buildings. But as we'll soon learn, Jesus is sure awestruck as well. But by the size of the religious corruption and the height of the human injustice that he sees before him. The temple is meant to be a house of prayer that gathers in all people and connects Good. them with God. Right. But instead, it is becoming something very, very different. The next day, Jesus will return to the temple yet again. But before we get to that great conflict and drama, let's turn briefly to our Isaiah reading from which Jesus will be quoting. Remember, sisters and brothers, that for the G Jewish people, the temple is the very center, the very house of God where they gather to connect with God, for God's deep to call to their deep. But here's the interesting thing. In the centuries before Jesus, prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah are coming along and beginning to radically re-envision the temple as a house of prayer, not only just for their own Jewish people, but for all the nations, for all the peoples. And if you caught it 
in Isaiah today, the prophet astonishingly even welcomes into the temple now pilgrims who are foreigners and who are eunuchs into this grand vision. And what you need to know is that the prophet Isaiah is completely negating and contradicting Deuteronomy 23, which had earlier banned both groups, foreigners and eunuchs, from ever stepping foot into a place, a house of Jewish worship. This is one of the things that we have to notice about Scripture, is that Scripture very often is in conversation, in discernment with different voices to hear the true voice of God. And at the end of our Isaiah reading today, we hear God saying, in effect, gather in all of these people, the foreigners and the eunuchs as well, gather them in to me. Bob, can you put up our slide of the temple now? But as you can see, by Jesus's day, God's house has not become this place of ingathering. But instead has become a vast purity system of dividing walls, excluding anyone who is deemed unclean or unworthy or who is too poor to participate. Look at this picture. You can see a very definite architectural theology establishing in stone who can have access to God and who cannot. And if you follow the numbers on our picture, you can see that the whole temple complex is divided into a series of walled off courtyards that become increasingly restricted as we move from the outside from five to four to three to one toward the holy of holies of God's presence at number one in the very center. And pilgrims who are not Jewish, which by the way is almost all of us, pilgrims who are disabled, who are menstruating, who are of illegitimate birth, who are sexually different, like the eunuchs, are banned from all but the outermost courtyards of the temple. They can only go into the courtyard number five. Now, what is known by all of us today as Jesus's cleansing of the temple takes place today out in what is the court of the Gentiles, Number five, it is here that Jesus flies into a holy rage because even the place at the outer edge, at the outer perimeter of the temple reserved for Gentiles has been taken over by money changers and merchants selling animals for sacrifice. Pilgrims, especially the very poor, are being exploited twice. First, 
by needing to exchange their money for the proper temple currency, and then by needing to buy the proper animal sacrifice to receive God's forgiveness. Bob, you can take that slide down now. It's out here in that crowded marketplace that Jesus turns over everybody's tables and sends doves <laughs> flying in every direction. And it's here that Jesus cries out that this house of God is meant to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but has been turned into a, a den of robbers instead. So friends, tell me, is Jesus really cleansing the temple here, as we often say? Or is he clearing space, opening up space for those who have long been excluded by God? And is it any accident that after all of the dust settles in the temple, that Matthew 21 gives us a very crucial detail and tells us that now, after this event, the blind and the lame, people, disabled folks, long excluded from the inner courts of the temple, now come to be healed by Jesus. I don't think it's any accident. You see, Jesus is overturning this whole religious industrial complex that carefully measures out access to God based on who you are, how worthy you supposedly are, and how much you can pay. And as Paul later writes in Ephesians 2, Jesus is bringing down every dividing wall, separating us from God and each other. Through Jesus, God's loving presence and gracious forgiveness are now freely available anywhere and to anyone. And at the end of our story today, we learn that it is because of this, Jesus's offering of free access to God's presence and forgiveness, that Jerusalem's religious elite now conspires to have him killed. Wow. Friends, I want you just to picture again in your mind's eye that whole religious complex of wall upon wall upon wall. It is a picture, I believe, of every religion, including our own faith, when we forsake our sacred vocation of connecting all people with God. This past week, <laughs> I just keep on thinking 
about Jesus coming to visit our church at the corner of Chestnut and Sherman. Friends, how would he see us? And what would Jesus say or do? Are we becoming the belovedly diverse community that God desires, a house of prayer for all, all people? You know, in recent years, one way that we've been trying to work at this is to be a church where all voices that are already here among us can be more fully heard. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our congregational meetings and in our Sunday school classes, it's become quite common for some one person or another to ask everybody else, whose voices do we still need to hear from? I love that question. Whose voices do we still need to hear from? And I don't know if you hear implicitly a second question behind it, which is whose voices have been dominating the conversation so far? Now, asking these questions in a church community is crucial, is so crucial because each of us, by virtue of our social position, can see things, especially can see invisible walls that others of us cannot see. Your being black, your being brown helps you to see walls, invisible walls that white folks can often not see. Your being a woman helps you to see things that men cannot. Your being single helps you to see things that married folks cannot. Your being gay helps you to see things that straight folks cannot. And your being a young person helps you to see things that older folks need to see but cannot, <laughs> and <laughs> vice versa. By God's beautiful design, we all need each other. Your deep calling to my deep. And only by hearing from every voice and releasing everybody's precious gifts can our church become the belovedly diverse community that God desires, a living temple for all people. In today's bulletin, I included the link to a song by a Christian musical collective 
in Atlanta, Georgia called Maverick City Music. And if you didn't have the chance to listen to it, I urge you to do so later. Because as we see, or in this video, we see this group of black and brown and white young people praising God together. And as they sing together, we catch a beautiful glimpse of Jesus's vision of a house of prayer for all the nations. And let me close with a quote from this group, from their website. Here's what they say. We didn't start out trying to be a diverse community just for the sake of diversity. Instead, we simply became aware of our deep need for people that were so absent from our lives that their silence was deafening. Let me say that again. We became aware of our deep need for people that were so absent from our lives that their silence became deafening. And so our response was then to open up space for what we'd become so profoundly aware of, our need for each other. Our need for each other. Amen.